Hey, thank you to Helix for sponsoring this podcast. Adam has had his Helix mattress for almost a year now, and he's loving it. It's it's actually hard to get him up. In fact, he won't stop talking about it. You'll understand what we mean when he goes into detail. Thank you for the detail, Adam, later on the episode. But for now, we want to tell our listeners about a special deal going on. Our Sleepy Time Pal Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and... As if that's not enough, two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash Paula. That's helixsleep.com slash Paula. This is their best offer yet, and I'll bet it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Coming to you live from our houses in Los Angeles, California, it's Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone, your comedy field guide to life. Tonight, this is the story of the hurricane. But no, not the man the authorities came to blame. We're talking about actual hurricanes. What are they? How hard do they blow? Will we make it through this episode without making at least one cheap joke using the word blow? We'll find out when we talk to the world's number one hurricane chaser, Josh Morgerman. Also, come again? Yes, you do. It's finally time for Mailbag, Returning Champions Edition. I'm Adam Felber, charting a course through the storms of conversational chaos from the safety of my high-tech podcast lab. And now, please welcome the woman who always finds herself buffeted and tossed into the eye of the rhetorical storm and has the hair to prove it. It's Paula Poundstone. Yay! Hey, you guys. Hey. So lovely to be with you. It's great to have you. I'm sorry about that quip about your hair. Well, you know, out of my hair now, uh, I'm going for kind of a Rita Hayworth look. I'm not saying I've achieved it, but that's what I'm going for. Before I say another word, I want to thank tonight's house band, Carrie Frank on the ukulele from Los Angeles, California. Oh, great. You can find him at carryfrank.com. I'm not surprised that you can find Carrie Frank at carryfrank.com. Not surprised at all. No, I'm not either. Not at all. You can find Paula Poundstone at paulapoundstone.com. You can. Uh, so you know what? I have been so busy. You, you know, usually the dog waste in my backyard is at the furthest point near the back fence. Uh, I pick up waste there, or used to, uh, a few times a, a day. However, during the holiday, there was a lot, a lot, a lot of rain. And it changed my dog's behavior because they wouldn't walk that far in the rain, and by the way, we're talking feet, not acres. Uh, so since then, they just use the whole backyard. My entire backyard has been compromised. It's not that there's more waste than there used to be, but it's not in a predictable place. It's a minefield. I'm out there searching like the dad in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. I have a <laughs> device that puts me parallel to the ground and I turn slowly on it. Uh, it takes hours. You know, sometimes I walk out there and I find two segments and I'm trapped. <laughs> uh, right? Because I'm like, where's the third? I can't move. There, there's a rule of three in the dog waste retrieval business. Uh-huh. And woe to those who ignore it. Just like in comedy. Rule of three. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yikes. So it's been taking up a lot of time, Adam. It's not the I sort of thing, you, you know, you don't predict it. You don't say to yourself, like, oh, it's raining, and that means that, you know, for months I'm going to be cleaning dog waste in my backyard more carefully than I ever had to before. It's been a challenging time, a difficult time. I can relate to it, Paul, because i got to say, I have only one dog as opposed to your two, and it's about a quarter of the size of both of your dogs, but her output is prodigious and never fails to place at least one segment directly under the trampoline. Oh, yeah, we get a little bit of that, particularly during the rain, you know, because they, they feel it's a sheltered spot. You know, in the airport, they have what they call the dog relief area, and... uh you know, I'll be walking by there and you can hear dogs going, oh, my God, that was close. Whew. Just, you know, <laughs> expressing, you know, relief. Speaking of relief, our book club. I'm going to call it to order. Oh, boy. Oh, That's boy. Right. We got a book club. We got a book club. We got a bookie, 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 book club. Wow. Yeah. Jeez. Hasn't lost a thing. No. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's just beautiful. I thought I had spirit, a lot of spirit in that. I could feel yeah. it. In yeah. fact, was... my arms were pumping. Oh, it's really spirited. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. I'll bet you. I'll bet you. I'll bet you. Henry Winkler hasn't slept since he heard that song the first time. Uh, 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 I'll bet you his eyes are still just wide open with shock over your theme songs. It, 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 he, he did admire your talent. Bon bon. I've said before that people, like in my family, they I say hello, they go, we got a book club, we got a book club. It's catchy. Oh, I didn't realize. So your family is listening to the podcast. <laughs> no. <laughs> But I do have a kind of funny story to tell you. So I did tell my family, you know, listen to this episode, whatever. They heard the book club theme. And then, mm -hmm. you know, some of them started singing it. So one of them was my brother's daughter. And she says, you got to hear Annie Bonnie sing this song. It's really funny. And it was the night I did, we got a book club and then I did the reggae version. And so, no, none of us remember that as the reggae version. Yeah, I've, I've blocked that. I've definitely blocked that. So I get on the phone with him, and he goes, "You know, there was no difference between the first one you sang and the second one." Like that. Yeah. I went. I know. And he goes, "I guess that's what made it funny." <laughs> I guess. God. Well. Holiday dinners must just be a stitch with your family. Uh, you make a joke and somebody goes, oh, I see. <laughs> I know? guess that was funny. Yeah, I can see where that would, uh-huh. Yeah, that was a, <laughs> so I wasn't expecting what you said and that was where the humor came from, I see. I would yeah. love to be a fly on the wall at one of Bonnie's holiday gatherings. Actually, I told the story wrong because he said, <laughs> I didn't really see what was so great about it. And he said, there was no difference between one and the other. That was what was funny. I yeah, don't know. That's... Now I've told it wrong. Just forget that. No, part. I don't think no, so. I, no, I, you know what? How much of book club are we going to spend on this shit? <laughs> I don't want to talk about book club. It's like. Super creepy. But, hey, I don't want to tip my hand. 
No. Okay. Goodbye. It's not like you. It's not like you to. It's not like you to tip your hand. Um, Adam. Yes. Give us the summary. Where where, where are we? Okay. We read chapters 16 through 20 of Fight Club, and it has taken a weird and dark turn of an already so weird and dark weird. story. Um, it looks like there are now just dozens of fight clubs in every city across the country, and Tyler Durden is running all of them. And even that's not enough because our narrator is pining for something even more violent and destructive. And so to help him, Tyler invents Project Mayhem, full of uh, missions of disinformation and vandalism and 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 uh, uh, conflagrations and near and buying weapons and and it looks like uh, our Tyler now has turned their house into a compound a cult compound where 72 followers maintain gardens and 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 wreak mayhem as their home base it's a cult compound yeah um I don't think it was Tyler Durden. I think it was Bonnie's brother. Was it not Bonnie's brother? <laughs> Might have been. Charles Augustus Burns. I don't know. Yeah. Charles Augustus Burns. Oh, this is one yeah. of the best Burns. That's her brother. Well, it's, Mrs. Burns was so proud of him. <laughs> so, um, Paula, do you have any thoughts on this uh, section before we, we throw things back up to the Simi Valley and down to Sherman Oaks? It's, uh, you know, again, I can't help feeling... That there's something wrong with, because I'm sure that men read this book like as a primer, like a training manual, you know? I'm sure men read this book and they go, yeah, that's what, you know, even if they don't go out and do it, they're thinking, yeah, that's that's what men need. And I still say, you know, progressive dinners, maybe a quilting club, maybe, uh, you know, some other kind of social. Did you, Adam, read it and feel like, yeah, this is this is what men need? No! <laughs> can I can I insert a quick hashtag not all men in this and possibly not any men? This is this is psychotic behavior. What you think of men, it's just it's appalling. No, I mean this is a very uh this is like a man's fantasy book. Is it really? That's why Brad Pitt <laughs> wrote it. That's exactly why Brad That's Pitt why wrote Brad it. Pitt wrote it was it. Chuck Palahaniuk. <laughs> That's Brad Pitt's pen name. No, Brad Pitt wrote this book. And then he made the movie because it, it was at a time in his career where a lot of women were like so into Brad Pitt. He felt like, you know, that he wasn't appealing to men enough. And so he wrote this oh. book. Uh-huh. Yeah. Do you have uh, any other thoughts about what's going on in the book and, 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 and where we are? I mean, there were some really weird scenes. There was the big intentional car crash by a heretofore unseen character named the mechanic who seemed to be talking exactly like Tyler Durden. Was that with the with the birthday cake? Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. He had a birthday cake, and he tells him to blow the candles out, and then they're the kind that don't blow out. I didn't even know you could still get those. <laughs> that was your takeaway? Yeah. <laughs> the guy who's driving is driving straight into a, an oncoming truck, and he's saying to the narrator, what would you change in your life or something like that? Finally, he blurts out, quit my job. Then he goes ahead and does that to someone on the street. Stops him, takes his wallet, puts a gun to his face, and basically demands, what would you do if I let you live? And he wanted to be a veterinarian. Yeah, but that's before he really understood what being a veterinarian is like. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> maybe we can revisit that guy in the sequel. Yeah, I think that's the, that's the veterinarian that I go to because you always look scared. 
<laughs> He's, his door is like triple locked. He slides the lock out slowly. You go, you go, you know, I'm here with my cat. And he goes, really? Stand in front of the, stand in front of the people. Uh, he's just like a scared guy. Yeah. No, I'm enjoying the book. It's really, really weird. Honestly, part of what I'm thinking while I'm, because I've been listening to it, but part of what I'm thinking while I'm listening is how totally strange Tony Anita Hull is. That she, <laughs> because I know Tony is loving this book. And she also loved Eat, Pray, Love. And I'm like, how, how fucked up is that? <laughs> well, let's find out. Tony Anita Hull, uh, how, how did you like this, this latest weird five chapters? I mean, it's getting weird. I know we've already said that, but it's getting really weird. And I'm starting to question what's real and what's not real. You mean in the context of the book? Yes. Is it really happening is my question. It is a made up story. No, but <laughs> yeah, that's not what she's saying, Paula. Did you think it was nonfiction, Tony? Did you think it was a historic? <laughs> no. Tony hasn't bought no. soap in months as a result. <laughs> if I may speak for um, my esteemed colleague, Tony Anita Hull in Sherman Oaks, I think what she's saying is she wonders if some of what's happening in the book is in our narrator's imagination. Yes. No. No, that's not what she said. Tony, be quiet. I'm going to explain what you said. No. <laughs> no, I explained what Tony said. You don't get to explain what Tony said after I explained what Tony said. I understand Tony better than you do. She thought it was like a true story. No, if she was here right now, Paula, she would tell you she was wondering if the reality of the book wasn't partly imagined by one of the characters. If she were here, no, she would no, 100% she, say that. No, she thinks it's a part of... What period of history did you believe it to be in, Tony? No, I did not think it was nonfiction. Tony, I will tell you what you thought. <laughs> well, I guess we'll never know what you really thought. Let's go up to Bonnie Burns in Simi Valley and see what she thinks. Well, <laughs> you know, there's this, this thing they call like when you're in the zone, like a musician's in the zone, and you're just like really not consciously thinking. I feel feel like when I'm reading this that the writer just like let himself get in that zone and he conjured up so many things that came oh from my God. this always emotion. The, okay? Always because with the armchair psychology. You oh, know, it's not. She's, she's I mean, been in therapy on. for so many years. She's <laughs> like, I'm going to fucking make this therapy pay off. <laughs> There's stuff in here that just seems so... Oh, God. You know what? Don't go to Scoopy the Clown as a therapist anymore. Let let, let her speak. Oh, no. No, no, but I can't... Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. You go... I mean, it feels like there would be something wrong with a person or they're, like, totally in the zone to come up with the idea that you're in this club. The goal is the annihilation of... Civilization or society? I can't remember. I think it was yes, it's both. Okay, and and then he does a lot of things like they recruit average people. They recruit people that are willing to go along with what Tyler tells them, the dictator, even when it doesn't make sense. And so this idea that these, oh my god, it's Trump! It's the story of <laughs> that's Trump. That's what I thought. I thought wow. the same thing. Interesting. Well, don't you think it's true? I I did not think that, but definitely, I mean, like, it certainly, 
he seems to be some sort of cult leader. Yeah, the first rule of MAGA is don't talk about MAGA. Yeah, exactly. And don't question Tyler, right? And you yeah. can't tell anybody that you're in it. But And it's hard to tell what's what, too. I mean, I, I haven't read ahead, but um, I, I did note in that last chapter we were reading where he's in the car and stuff, he keeps referring to the fact that he smells gasoline on his hands. It's because he pumps his own. That's why I don't like to pump my own. I hate pumping my own. Well, the other thing I thought was, I'm sure this book will become a classic. And I can think of all these poor people in high school that are asked to write essays, you know, analyzing this. And They're not going to have to read this in high school. I think they are. College, oh, no. maybe, Bonnie. Oh, maybe college, college, I think. I would yeah. think college. No, I mean, you know, no, they will be so far past this in high school. They'll have read this in elementary school. <laughs> <laughs> and then Tyler Durden um, hit his friend and he was bleeding all over the place. The first rule of snack time is you don't talk about don't snack, talk about time. snack time. <laughs> Teacher, can I move my seat? Tyler Durden keeps punching me. Fight club, fight club, fight club. Yeah, they're going to read this in elementary school. I'm sure of it. Oh, my gosh. Well, okay, so here's one thing I thought. Like these, some of these ideas, like that. I think it's Tyler that makes each guy has to bring back driver's licenses from 19 people. To prove that they've, like, what was it, killed the people, murdered the people, eviscerated the people? I'm not sure. There hasn't been any actual murder yet, um, but there's been allusions to some murder about to happen, so. I think there's going to be some killing in the book. <laughs> I, I'm a little scared of the book. And the list of the stuff that they have to bring back, like, they had to bring back fat, right, from women that had liposuction. Because they're making soap. And then they're going to sell it back to the rich women that could afford liposuction. I don't use soap when I wash my hands anymore because I'm scared of the book. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to wash my face with Aunt Lily's thighs. (laughs) What did you guys think the significance of the cake was? Well, you know, birthday cakes are always uh, symbolic of like transition and rebirth and stuff. Oh, But it wasn't his birthday. Well, a lot of people don't realize this, but Brad Pitt also has a bakery. He owns a bakery. (laughs) And so it was just like a subliminal thing to get people to buy cake. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. You know what? I feel like we've uh, we've, we've come far enough with this. Is everybody ready to, to, to close out? Nobody got censured. That's a good sign. I'm still enjoying it. Same. I'm not enjoying it that much. I mean, I admire the writing and the imagination, but it's kind of a downer. She keeps psychoanalyzing the authors instead of just reading the book. That's the problem. Well, Paula, it gives her a sense of control over a chaotic world. And if she was here to tell you that right now, she, <laughs> I'm sure she would. <laughs> yeah. No, I think great art makes you in touch with your feelings. Oh, for Christ's sakes. Oh, my God. You're interpreting things. The artist is trying to convey a message to you. We'll be right back on today's... You sound like you're on one of those daytime talk shows. I'd be a good, I'd be somebody good as a host on that. Like, I don't have to carry the whole weight. Oh, I'd my God. I'd just be one of the people. Yeah. 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 That's, it's literally what you do. Dr. <laughs> Phil will be, be back in just, a, in just a minute. Stay with us. Dr. Bonbon. Bon. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, it is the position I'm in right now. Dr. Bonbon, bon bon, coming your way right after this message. Dr. Bonbon, I love it. All right, and after this message, we will get back to Dr. Bonbon, but for now, <laughs> I am calling Book Club to a close. Hey. Yeah, yeah, let's read another five chapters next week. Meanwhile, Paula, I feel like my vocabulary is lacking a little bit this week. Can you help me? Oh, I think I have to. Uh, Adam, I have a word. You do? It's oleaginous. It's an adjective that means oily or greasy. It also means excessively flattering or obsequious. Uh, hold on. Oh, nice. Ooh, I like that. Yeah, here, I'll, I'll, Paula, I'll... I want to say, I want to thank you right there because I've read that word for years and never had the courage to try to say it out loud. And there you are just saying oleaginous. So now I know. Well, I looked it up on the silly, goofy computer where they where you push and it, and it pronounces it for you. Yeah, I never uh, did that. Well yeah. done. Yeah, I do that a lot. In fact, now when I click on that little um, speaker button uh, uh, on the dictionary page, um, the woman says, oh, you. Uh, so she's, <laughs> I've, I've done it a lot. Uh, oh, 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 okay, wait. I forgot to use it in a sentence. Here it is. Uh, I'm using oleaginous in a sentence. Uh, Mike Pence remains oleaginous towards Trump even after Trump almost got him hanged. It's a great word, and I feel like yeah. we're going to need it again, I'm sure. So uh, let's put it right into the vocabulary song. This week's word is oleaginous. It's an adjective that means oily or greasy. It also means excessively flattering or obsequious. You are the smartest, best, most wonderful, beautiful, even gorgeous. Last week's word was apogee. It's a noun that means the highest point in the development of something. There's no finer snack than a Drake's ring ding. The week before that, the word was mendacity. It's a noun that means untruthfulness. Mitch McConnell has done his best to make a big mess. Going back before that, the word was solipsistic. 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 It's an adjective that means of or relating to solipsism, a theory and philosophy that your own existence is the only thing that is real or that can be known, tremendously selfish in tone. And not long ago, the word was preponderance. It's a noun that means the state of being greater in number. Most jacks want to chop lumber. Let's never forget Gallimaufry, which I pronounced wrong until nobody James Hyder corrected me. It's a noun that means confused jumbler medley of things. Hodgepodge, who's podge, hodgepodge. Adam doesn't think my song is replicable, replicable, replicable. But I do, I do, I do, I do. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Paula. Yeah, well done. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I turn your attention now to Tony Anita Hull. If you can, without Googling... Tell me which of A, B, C, or D is the correct definition of the week before that's word from the vocabulary song, Mendacity. Our podcast, Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone, will give literally dollars worth of advertising to Reparations Club Bookstore at 3054 South Victoria Ave, Los Angeles, California. However, in the unfortunate case 
of you, Tony Anita Hull, not being able to correctly identify the definition of the word mendacity, we will not be able to give dollars worth of advertising to Reparations Club Bookstore at 3054 South Victoria Ave in Los Angeles, California. Tony, are you ready? I'm ready. Are you Googling now? You're not Googling, She's are you? Googled already. No, my hands are in my in my hoodie pockets. There you go. Is the definition of mendacity A, selfishness, B, untruthfulness, C, an inability to learn, or D, a large town inhabited mostly by tailors? <laughs> um, I believe it was uh, B. Ladies and gentlemen, that is wow. correct. We can give literally Yay. dollars worth of advertising to Reparations Club Bookstore at 3054 South Victoria Ave, Los Angeles, California. Tony, what did you have for breakfast this morning? Latkes. You had latkes? Trader Joe's latkes. Latkes. Wow, that is, uh, that's got to be brain food because you really pulled that out of the bag, Tony Anita Hall. A lot of listeners thought it was a large town inhabited mostly by tailors, Mendicity. Mendicity, large yes. town inhabited mostly by tailors. Uh, anyways, <laughs> so uh, there it is, Reparations Club Bookstore at 3054 South Victoria Avenue in Los Angeles, California. Congratulations to you and Tony Anita Hall. Hey. Yay. Oh, boy, Tony, that, I was, that was a nail biter. Whew. Coming up, Henry Ford said, when everything seems to be going against you, remember that the airplane takes off against the wind, not with it. And then he added, and that's because of the Jews and their weather machines. We'll chase down storms with a real expert when we come back. Hey, Paula. You know, every once in a while, we get a new advertiser that I get super excited about. And I have to say, just because of the circumstances of my life right now, I'm really excited about our new advertiser, Quince of Quince.com, the clothing provider. Not to be mistaken for Quince from Midsummer Night's Dream. And let me just say this, and maybe it's not important to an advertisement, but when I was in the fourth grade, our class put on a production of a midsummer night's dream okay and i played i played peter quince there there's the connection one of the mechanicals that's a great connection also yes has nothing to do with this which is that um quince is an online clothing store and as you know paula i've uh, i've lost a little weight lately oh right 75 pounds yeah so i literally have no clothes that are in my size until i just ordered some stuff at quince and i figured like here's a chance for me to create a new look for myself a whole new image. And how's it going? Not bad. I mean, the clothes are fantastic. I know that you ordered some too. What I got is I got yes. the Comfort Stretch Traveler five pocket pants. And I got oh. the, um, oh, it's so, and I got the 100% European linen shirt and it looks breezy and it fits beautifully. And these are like premium pieces of clothing that are selling for like, you know, $30 a piece or starting at $30 at quince.com. It's awesome. I look good. I ordered the brushed lounge jogger Ooh. and you know i put them on when i came back from new york i pulled them on and i i swear to you okay this is not scientific because i was tired already right but they were so soft <laughs> <laughs> and, 
and so comfortable that honestly, like right as I got them up to my waist, I I, I think my eyes closed. They're so, it's a softness. It's a kind of softness that I don't think I've ever experienced in a garment, honestly. You know, my uh, drawstring European linen trousers are a little bit like that too. Like so comfortable that I just want to hang out with myself. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they're European. Keep that in mind. They're oh, European. they are so European. And you can get those kinds. Of, you can get washable silk tops. You can get uh, 14 karat gold jewelry and like all these accessories. When sells a lineup of timeless pieces that keep their customers looking effortlessly chic year after year. I'm not certain that I look chic, but certainly if I did, it's not going to take a lot of effort. I now look chic and I feel pretty great. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabric. It's all good as far as I can see. Is it my imagination or do they cut out the middleman? They cut out the middleman, Paula Poundstone. I love it when they cut out the middleman. That's the thing, they cut out the middleman. That's fantastic. <laughs> so be like me and Paula. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash nobody for free shipping on your order and a 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash nobody to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash Nobody. And honestly, I look fantastic. Paula, you won't be able to keep your hands off me. Oh, I can't wait. And don't <laughs> think that if you had to return something, don't think you're sending it to a middleman because they cut out the middleman. They man. cut out the middleman. That's quince.com slash nobody. And if you're going to do it anyway. Use our code. Hey, Paula, it's been almost a year now since I got my Helix mattress. And as you remember, there was some drama surrounding Helix mattresses. Because oh, when oh my Helix gosh. first sponsored us, Bonnie took the mattress and yeah. she's been loving it. But finally, I got my chance to get a Helix mattress and I sleep so well. I mean, the family bed is where we all gather. We watch movies in, in our room occasionally and everybody just piles on it and it it's comfy. And yet when one person hops on, the other half of the mattress doesn't fly up. I'm a fan. Well, you know, Adam, everybody is unique and everyone sleeps differently. That's why Helix has several different mattress models to choose from, each designed for specific sleep positions and feel preferences. Models with memory foam layers to provide optimal pressure relief if you sleep on your side. Models with a more responsive foam to cradle your body for essential support in stomach and back sleeping positions plus enhanced cooling features to keep you from overheating at night. And if your spine needs some extra TLC, they got you. Every Helix mattress has a hybrid design combining individually wrapped steel coils in the base with premium foam layers on top. It is the perfect combination of comfort and support. I agree with that last bit. I don't get all the technical stuff about the mattress, but it is soft and supportive. Helix offers 20 unique mattresses, the award-winning Lux, which I got, and ultra-premium Elite Collections, the Helix Plus, a mattress designed for big and tall sleepers, and the Helix Kids mattress designed for growing bodies and endorsed by child sleep experts, and my daughter now wants one. So, how will you know which Helix mattress works best for you and your body? You go to their website, take the Helix Sleep Quiz, and you find your perfect mattress batch in under two minutes. You know, when you said you can't follow all the technical stuff, it's really not that technical. You know, uh, no matter what way you sleep, they have a mattress that will support and comfort you. How hard is that? Uh, you know, when you say it that way, it seems a lot simpler. I take it back. 
That's my boner. And your personalized mattress is shipped straight to your door, free of charge. And Helix knows there's no better way to test out a new mattress than by sleeping on it in your own home. That's why they offer a 100-night trial and a 10- to 15-year warranty to try out your new Helix mattress. Well, I like that there's a warranty, but they can pry that mattress from my cold, dead hands. I took the sleep quiz. I was matched with the Helix Midnight Lux. I got the Lux. And I love it. It is such an upgrade from my old mattress. You know, I think Bonnie got the Midnight Lux. She did. Too. Yeah. You're not here. <laughs> <laughs> Don't want to take Adam's word for it? Well, you got Bonnie's word. Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It's even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Your Sleepy Time Pal Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. That's a lot, and it's already not that expensive a mattress. Go to helixsleep.com slash Paula. That's helixsleep.com slash Paula. This is their best offer yet. It's fantastic. It won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Well, not right now. And if you're going to get it anyway, use our code. On this day in unremarkable history, the unsinkable Molly Brown said, yes, but I could still get a virus. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, house band Carrie Frank. All right, moving on. Adam, Adam. Yes. I didn't tell you this about the days I was home over the holidays, um, because I I didn't travel at all. you always wonder how you'll react in an emergency. And you know, I have a worm farm. I have about 3,000 worms that I care for. They're in bins on the side of my house. And the worm poop, of course, is good for plants, but also it's not just commerce. I've come to love the worms. So uh, during those couple of weeks, we had hurricanes here in Santa Monica. I, 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 I got to cut in there, Paula. Uh, it rained, but I don't believe they were hurricanes. No, we had one. This is Santa Monica. We had one hurricane after another. And one night I realized that the rain might be getting into the worm bins. So I got up out of bed and I ran towards the danger, Adam. I went right into the hurricane to cover the bins to protect my worms. And it was pouring. Yeah, but Paula, that was just rain. No, it was, a, it was a hurricane for worms. No, it wouldn't have been a hurricane even for worms. Hurricanes have rain and wind of a certain uh, speed. Philosophy. Exactly. It was a hurricane for my worms because before I covered the bins, I blew on them. I ran towards the danger, Adam. That's how I, I would react. I'm glad you ran towards the danger, Paula, but the danger was not a hurricane. I wish we had an expert on this topic who could settle this because we might stickle through the whole show. Well, um, knock me over with a feather uh, in hurricane force winds because, Paula, by amazing happenstance, we have an expert in that subject right here with us today. No! Yeah, no, it's true. Josh Morgerman is the host of BBC's Hurricane Man, a field correspondent for Weather Nation and is the top hurricane chaser in the world since that other guy blew away. Please welcome Josh Morgerman. Yay! Yay! 
Hey. Very nice Welcome. to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome, Josh. Welcome, Josh. Thank you so much. I assume you're chained to your chair. Um, <laughs> all right, Josh, let's just start with the very basics. What's a hurricane and how do you chase it? All right. So hurricane. So a hurricane is a giant, a big low pressure system. The wind spins in a counterclockwise direction in the northern hemisphere. Uh, as you get closer and closer to the center, the rain gets heavier and the wind gets stronger until you get very near the center. And then it gets violent and destructive. And then the exact center is called the eye, which is calm. And uh, that's a hurricane. It's a very, very specific type of phenomenon. And uh, it actually, there's only one recorded instance of one having hit Southern California. It was a, it was an historical oddity. It was, what was that a, a couple of weeks ago. It, no. uh, yeah, I was going to take issue with your categorization of that. You were decidedly wrong. I had to take Adam's uh, side. <laughs> Oh, Adam's side in that. And in fact, I was offended that you would use the sacred word hurricane to describe that silly little bit of weather we had. Uh, the hurricane. Were, uh, it was pounding rain and I blew on the worms. That's a hurricane for a worm. But the winds have to be, to be a hurricane, and, and among other things, the, the winds have to be at least 74 miles an hour to be classified as a hurricane. So it, it definitely certainly was not that. Not to be That's a not it, Paul. That was not 75 miles an hour. Do it again. No, still. I, I did uh, 30 at best. All right. Okay, stand corrected. Actually, <laughs> so the hurricane that hit the, the Southern California, actually scientists went back and looked at the records, and there was actually in 1858, it, uh, it got just up near San Diego. It hit San Diego and actually caused a lot of damage, and it was uh, an extreme historical oddity. And the reason hurricanes almost never, ever, ever get up here is because the water is too cold. Hurricanes are heat engines. They require uh, warm water to thrive and to get strong. Oh. And the water off Southern California, as we all know, is freezing. <laughs> What year was that? 1858. Oh, you know what? That's what my worms were screaming when I opened the bin. They were like, it's 1858 all over again. <laughs> uh, yeah. Those are old worms. <laughs> all right. So the eye of the storm, you would have to go all the way through the wind and the rain and then get to the very center where it would be. Exactly. So so if you want to get into the center, and that's where I'm always trying to get into because that's where the, the, the sort of meteorologically significant data are. But in order to get into that calm center, you got to go through the worst of the hurricane because it's in a circle, a little ring around the eye. So it's very trippy. People who haven't been in a hurricane don't realize this, but as it's hitting, it gets crazier and crazier. And then it's crazy. Like, you know, roofs ripping off buildings, cars flying, you know, the rain is so heavy, you can't see it's It's scary. And then all of a sudden it just stops within a yeah. minute. It just totally stops. And like the sun comes out and it's dead calm. Like you could build a card house and that's, that means you're right in the, the eye, the center of it. And it I don't want to, I don't want to brag Josh, but I have actually, and I'm no hurricane chaser. I've had the good fortune of being in the eye of a hurricane twice. Oh really? Which one? When I was a, when I was a kid in Long Island, New York, I was in the eye of hurricane bell. Yes. I remember and that. when I was uh, in college, I think I was a freshman uh, up in Boston, um, Hurricane Gloria blew right past me and uh, I was in the eye for a second. Yeah. Yeah. Those are those are some good examples of the uh, in the northeast U.S. And when you get down in the tropics where the hurricanes are very 
perfectly formed. You get um, you get very distinct eyes where when you go outside, the, the sky is blue and it's uh, you know, it's it's super calm. It's crazy, and that calm can last a couple of minutes or it could last an hour. But of course, you're only halfway through the hurricane, and you know that the other side of it is coming. And the the interesting thing is when the opposite side comes, the wind blows in the opposite direction because the hurricane's a circle. So wait, if you're in the eye of the storm, that means that the rest of the storm is blowing your is going to blow your way. It means that you're only halfway through the hurricane. You're actually, since you're in the exact center of it, you still got to go through the other half. So it's not over. So you shouldn't like be, you know, just going out and taking long nature walks or anything. You got to stay close to your shelter because it's going to start up again and start up again fast. Why did you start doing this? Well, that's a very good question. <laughs> so, uh, so guys who chase guys who chase violent weather, and I, I say guys, I shouldn't because there are some women who chase, but it is it is largely still a, a, a sport that men play. Uh, it's uh, I would say it's kind of an obsession you're born with. Uh, any most storm chasers I know were born with this obsession, meaning like when I was a toddler, and I, I mean as far back as I can remember. When I when I there was big thunder, when I saw crazy wind, any kind of violent weather, I just got like kind of like excited by it, like it was like a drug. And so you kind of spend your whole life just chasing that feeling again and again. And that's kind of what storm chasers do. You know, you're kind of it's like a drug and you're just sort of chasing it. Uh, it's not like a it's not like a, a, a hobby that you casually take up like, hey, I'm going to start like, you know, like I'm going to I'm going to start I'm going to go to a pottery class. It's not like that. It's like most storm chasers I know, the the, the guys who are really, really committed and deep into it are pretty. Uh, it's an obsession, I would say. Well, I, I could see where pottery could also be an obsession, but is it part of it? Uh, are you an adrenaline junkie? Yes, definitely a part of it is that. I have noticed that the the the, the chases, the experiences that I look back at that I sort of most um, I, that were the most meaningful, the ones where I really look back and I'm like, wow, that was that was amazing, were the ones where I was like scared off my ass. Like I was in a building, all the windows were smashing and the whole place was just coming down. And like the wind was so loud, you couldn't hear anything else. And you just felt like, oh my God, I'm going to die. Those experiences were the, were the ones that somehow were the, there's kind of like almost a religious element to it. And, uh, and, it, and that's kind of the paradox of this lifestyle is you're kind of like, you're always like walking along the edge of a cliff and, and it's kind of like how close to the edge of the cliff can I get without falling into it. And, you know, storm chasers have died doing this. Uh, you know, it's kind of, it's sort of the nature of it. It's a, it's a very, very dangerous lifestyle. It's like riding in a car with Bonnie Burns, honestly. Yeah, um, absolutely. All right, what do the different categories mean? Okay, so there's so we have a we have a hurricane wind scale in the, that we use in the United States, and it goes from one to five, and it's based on wind speed, like how strong the estimated winds are in the hurricane. So a a, a hurricane that's just barely a hurricane is a category one, and that starts at seventy four miles an hour, and then it goes up from there, and then you go up to category five, which is like a, just a nuclear grade hurricane. So the U.S. has had probably about 300 hurricanes in the last 170 years of those 300 only four of them were category fives when they hit the united states so so a category five is like a super intense rare event now one problem with the scale is that the scale is based only on the wind okay but hurricanes also do damage with what's called storm surge 
which is as a hurricane's coming ashore, the wind is pushing the ocean on up onto land and flooding towns and stuff like that. That's called storm surge. And that's actually the hurricane's biggest killer. And that does a lot of damage. And that basically correlates with intensity, but not completely. So, um, so you could have a category three hurricane that produces just a nuclear grade storm surge, or you could have a category five that produces maybe a smaller storm surge. So since they don't totally match, the, the scale is really best for, um, for just uh, talking about wind, not the whole thing. And how do they measure wind speed? So they, they have these instruments called anemometers that, that actually are just designed to measure the wind. They just twirl around and measure it. And uh, so we have... We have uh, the weather... little metal things with the sideways cups? Yeah, that's one kind, and that's like a traditional kind. And then there are other kinds. There are more modern ones that just are like... I have a... one of those. I have a... What is you... it? An anemometer? You do? Mine's rectal. Oh, oh you should never use those. <laughs> okay. Those All are right. really bad for you. I'm so glad we had this talk. Um, <laughs> yeah, I hadn't actually. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, what's a cyclone, Josh? Is there is that a sa same thing? Different. Good question. It's actually a very good question because people are confused by it. So cyclone means many things depending on um, what context, where you are, what era in history. So a cyclone in modern terminology is any storm, um, any low pressure system that rotates. So a hurricane is a cyclone, just a, any low pressure system that's moving across the U.S., and the wind sort of going in a broad circular pattern, that's a cyclone as well. Uh, but in Australia, for example, what we call a hurricane, they call a cyclone. So, so in Australia, their word for hurricane is cyclone. Technically, they call it a tropical cyclone. But, but in the does that turn the other way? Yeah, they does that do. Turn the exactly. other way? Southern Hemisphere, they turn the opposite direction. It's true. Otherwise, they're exactly like our hurricanes. So Australians call them cyclones, and uh, that's that. And then also in in sort of if you remember the Wizard of Oz, uh, uh, they referred to the tornado as a cyclone. But that was it. Like that's sort of an incorrect but traditional vernacular usage of the word. Like, uh, but but that actually was not a cyclone in the Wizard of Oz. That was a tornado. So I'm not going to have you run down Uncle Henry on this program, Josh. No, <laughs> not with my nerdy technical uh, correcting that I'm doing. Yeah, I, by the way, am a member of the Lollipop Guild. Um, <laughs> really? Yeah. Uh, I was indoctrinated. Okay, and a tornado, which, by the way, to me is the scariest of all uh, natural. I mean, with the exception maybe of a tsunami the scariest of all the natural disasters. Um, but a tornado, uh, do you ever chase those? No. Now, now most storm chasers are a little more versatile than I am, and they'll go after different kinds. I am a complete snob and a specialist, and I only chase hurricanes. I don't, I don't lower myself to chase any other kinds of phenomenon. Why is that? Just it's it's what my passion is. I don't sleep around on the hurricanes. Let's put it that way. I'm a I'm a faithful <laughs> I'm a faithful wholesome storm chaser. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. That's a, yeah, that's beautiful. Well, you know, Winston Churchill said, "Kites rise highest against the wind, not with it." Yeah, Winston, you try taking your little kite out where Josh works. <laughs> More with Josh Morgan when we come back. The Cat of the Week is Clarence from Boothville, Louisiana.
And we're back with Josh Morgerman. Paula. Um, Josh, when you chase the storm, right, and now maybe you're in the eye of it or you're, you know, or the, the other parts going by and you're being uh, buffeted, what are you doing? I mean, are you are you recording some information or is it just like I'm standing out in the blowy rain? Well, when I was younger, actually, it was it was more like I was just wanting to experience it and be in the moment and all that. And uh, and, you know, in, in, a, in a really serious hurricane, you can't actually be outside in it. You'll you'll be killed. There's like flying wreckage and stuff that'll just like take your head right off. But, you know, observing it in some way as I've uh, as I've sort of aged, I've become a, a, a more useful citizen. And actually, I collect data inside hurricanes now. I actually go in and collect field data that I then send to scientists who then use the, the information. And my biggest satisfaction now is I hunt down hurricanes all over the world. Uh, they're not called hurricanes all over the world. And, you know, in West and East Asia, they're called typhoons. Like I said, in Australia, they're called cyclones. But anyway, my biggest pleasure now is hunting down these storms in very, very remote locations, getting inside the eye, collecting data that otherwise wouldn't exist, and then giving that to the scientists who then have the missing puzzle pieces that they need to then kind of analyze what happened on the ground. What kind of data? Oh, like uh, there's different kinds, but the main thing being air pressure data, the, the air pressure inside the center of a hurricane gives you a very good, it's a very good proxy for how strong the hurricane is. It gives you some idea when you take that air pressure in the eye and you sort of put it into equations with other factors like the size of the storm and other things, you can kind of estimate the wind speed. And that's actually important because a lot of times when hurricanes, they hit places that don't have any weather stations to record the wind speed. So scientists can only estimate based on these proxy data. And how do you know when you say you, you 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 travel all around the world finding them, how do you know there's going to be one? Yeah, it's a great question. So this is what separates the men from the boys that separates me from the others is, is knowing how to interpret what are called the computer models, which are these, they're computer programs and they, and, and they every, every day, several times a day, they spit out weather maps of the future, what that what they think will happen. It's kind of like the, the the chaser dude's crystal ball. So you have all these different computer models, and they're of course they're not always right because they, you know, it's, it's impossible to 100 percent uh it's impossible to predict the weather in a 100 percent accurate way. But you look at the computer models and you weigh the biases of each, and then you decide whether they're telling the truth or not. And based on that, you decide whether to pull the trigger. And sometimes pulling the trigger is just simply getting in the car and just driving a few hours. Uh, sometimes it means getting on a plane uh, and flying 7,000 miles to Taiwan. And of course, those those decisions to go really far, um, those are those are big decisions, you know, whether to go or not. Because of course, if you make a wrong decision, that's that's a costly mistake. Yeah, it's kind of like gambling, isn't it? It's very much like being a gambler. And I would say this lifestyle is, is like is being a gambler, you know, because definitely. You know, sometimes you go in big and you and you bust badly and sometimes you hit the jackpot. Yeah, it's, it's very similar. You know, I have a very high batting average. So fortunately, I usually I have good taste in storms. I know which ones to go after and I usually hit the jackpot. But yeah, man, I've done it. I've flown 7000 miles, you know, three connecting flights to some random island off Japan and busted. And meaning the typhoon missed and I wasted a lot of time and money to get there. <laughs> Couldn't you? Just go to a blackjack table with a sprinkler and a fan and get a lot of the same experience? You know, I, you know <laughs> I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not a big fan of Vegas. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm kind of like, well, I'm a little more rugged than that. I need to, I need to be, you know, just to be out in, in the world to kind of, you know, I don't know. A blackjack table seems so safe to me. 
All right. Okay. All right. Okay. How about a back alley craps game <laughs> with a fan? And you get the idea. Well, that's getting and, closer, and, I think. Yeah. And and the guy in charge has Dobermans. Yeah. But, and doesn't like to lose. Um, all right, so when you are making these observations, you said you're not just standing out in it. You're, you're in a building or you're in a car or where are you? It, it's a good question, and it depends. So if it's um, if it's a category one or two, I might be in the car. And by the way, I, I want to point out that even that is stupid because even in a category one, a tree can fall in the car and crush it and kill you instantly. So um, like I said, it's a stupid lifestyle and it's full of uh, it's full of risk. But sort of in the lower category hurricanes, I might be outside driving in them. Once you get into the more intense ones, I try to, um, you know, at the, one, at the very last minute, pick a location that I think is optimal for observ observing the storm, but that offers some protection, you know, physically. In something like a category five, you really have to hunker down in a strong, like a concrete building or a really, really well-built house. Because, I mean, those things, like, you can't mess around <laughs> with those. I mean, like, you know, you have crazy stuff flying through the air. I mean, it's like you can really die. I've been in a few category fives and those things are like, are, they're scary. Like you, you can't be out in a car because cars are just rolling and flying around. Wow. Wow. Let me spin a scenario for you, Josh. Me and Paula Poundstone are taking a hike. One of our common perambulations through Runyon Canyon. When all of a sudden, because we haven't been paying attention to the news, a hurricane blows up. It's like 1858 all over again in California. What do we do? Well, well, that that wouldn't happen. A hurricane does not come up that suddenly. It's not like a tornado. Well, it was a long walk. It was over a week. So. Okay, okay. Yeah, that's <laughs> a long walk. Adam got us lost. So yeah, what? I got us lost, and I so I wouldn't stop and ask a squirrel for directions. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. There's two things to. There's basically two things to worry about in a in a hurricane. There's the wind and the water. So so in terms of the water, um, well. And then the water divides into two things. You've got the storm surge, which is how the ocean comes up onto land. And then you've got the, the flooding that can happen from heavy rainfall. So let's talk about all three, how to protect yourselves from all three. So because you're inland and you're on a hill, you are safe from storm surge. The storm surge, the, the ocean coming up onto land, that's not going to get you. Because even in the worst hurricanes, it's usually not higher than about 30 feet, which is really high. Yeah. So then we got lucky because Paula wanted to walk on the beach in Santa Monica. Yeah. Well, yeah. now a lot of Santa Monica would actually be pretty safe because you know, a lot of Santa Monica is almost like on a cliff. It's like really high. Like oh, yeah. I've, I've thought about this actually downtown Santa Monica would be fine because it's so high up. Um, but for, I live half the year in Mississippi and the Mississippi Gulf coast is so flat that a 30 foot storm surge, which is what happened in Katrina, whole towns were just obliterated when underwater wow. because Mississippi, unlike California, has no elevation. A hill in Mississippi is like two feet of elevation. That's like a hill in Southern Mississippi. Anyway, so you get, okay, you'd be safe from the storm surge. Now, because you're in the hills, the heavy rainfall might cause mudslides, which could kill you. So uh, I, I would say get out of the hills. Okay, and then the third thing is the wind, which you want to protect yourself from. And this, would, I think, would be the most dangerous. So in a hurricane, the winds are higher as you go higher up in altitude. So what if we weren't outside? What if we weren't hiking? What if, you know, what if we had broken up? And uh, we're <laughs> in our dwelling. Mostly people are told to, to leave, right? Aren't they evacuated? Uh, when a hurricane is coming? 
Yeah, it depends on it depends on the intensity, but if it's a strong hurricane, like if it's a category three or higher, and it's hitting an area of the coast where people are experienced and know what's going on, people will generally try to get out of the way. Um, one, they're trying to get away from the low-lying coastal areas because of the storm surge, but even people who are above the line of the storm surge, they might be scared from the wind. Like they don't want to be anywhere near it because it's scary. So People do get out of the way. But if you are riding it out at home, uh, what I would say is uh, if um, you stay away from windows and doors and get in an interior room. So if you have a room that it does not have any exterior walls, it could be like a bathroom or even a closet, ride it out in there. Get as many walls as possible between you and the wind. Oh, Wow. And actually taping windows, let me address that for a second. Taping the windows is people have done it traditionally, but it's actually not, it doesn't do anything. It is completely useless. Really? Yeah. Either board, put boards on the windows or like actually cover them or just don't even bother. But the tape is like sort of a, it's an old myth that it's helpful. Huh. Oh. Now you said your fidelity is to hurricanes, but have you ever considered chasing other kinds of natural disasters like drought? Or earthquakes? You know, you know, I I have I have not. Um, I I well, first of all, earthquakes you can't chase because you really there's no way to predict them. Those just happen. Well, now, but, was, yeah, but that's part of the charm of it. I could just <laughs> see that BBC show Drought Chasers. Well, drought chasing sounds really dull, Paula, because drought yeah. happens over well, a period of years. Yeah, they don't have to run that fast. That's the no. best part of the good. You, you could walk there. I mean, Josh Josh looks like he's in pretty good shape. I think generally yeah. drought chasers are, are a little bit heavier. Um, yeah. Uh, all right. Yeah, you could, you could get there on a rascal scooter <laughs> as long as you get there before, you know, three years pass. <laughs> I think that'd be extremely dull. The thing with a hurricane is you've got you've got like a, a, an experience that builds to like a screaming climax, like a drought. Where's the climax? You're just sitting around looking at paint dry, basically. Yeah. So has this ruined sex for you? Well, <laughs> I had to think. I had to think about it. I, I would I would say this: it has definitely interfered with relationships. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, it's just you know because the the excitement and all. Um. All right. Are there are there more hurricanes now than there used to be? It certainly feels in the last few years that there have been. They whip through the alphabet letters pretty quick now. Yeah, it's it's a great question, and I get asked it a lot. So, so we have a good 170 years of hurricane data in the United States, basically since the mid 1800s. We've been, you know, we we've had good records of okay, what's happening. How, how often hurricanes are hitting. And if you look at that, you will find tremendous variability, um, periods of one or two decades where things are just nuts and we're just getting slammed again and again. And then a decade or two where things are kind of quiet and it basically goes up and down like that. So the last five hurricane seasons have been bad in the United States. We've had a lot of really devastating impacts. What's really unclear to me is, is it just part of the normal fluctuation or is this the start of a new normal? I personally believe it's just part of the normal fluctuation. And the other thing I want to point out, so if we talk about climate change and that's where, you know, that's why people ask this question, climate change is a, is a global phenomenon. And remember the United States and the hurricanes that hit us, we're just one, one like tiny little part of the globe. What's interesting is that it, we did go through the alphabet uh, last year and this year we actually almost went through it again. So it's been really busy, but around the entire world, hurricane activity, and by hurricanes, I mean, I include typhoons in East Asia and cyclones in Australia. 
around the world, cyclone activity or hurricane activity has been well below normal. So, oh, really? and it has been for the last couple of years. Yeah. So, so it, it's, it's easy to think like, oh, because hurricanes are hitting the U.S. a lot in the last couple of years that, okay, it's, it's maybe indicative of something, but that's not clear necessarily that it is. And the b- bottom line is the, connect, the connection between climate change and hurricane activity is not well understood. And it's not as simple as people on Twitter think it is. Yeah, well, I want to say you know, I am I am but a but a simple waffle peddler, um, and and all I do is you know peddle my wares and 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 watch Twitter. Um, but to watch Twitter, what, what the the orthodoxy seems to be that because ocean temperatures are rising, storms like hurricanes are going to be more common because the water is warmer. Exactly. No, that is and that is the armchair. And that's an oversimplification. It's it's extreme oversimplification. I'm glad you brought this up because that is the that is as you said the orthodoxy on Twitter. So, if hurricane intensity was was simply a product of ocean temperatures, it would be very very easy to predict the intensity of a hurricane. You could just be like, okay, the temperature of the water is 80.3 degrees, therefore the winds will be 111.9848 degrees or miles per hour. And mm. it's not that way. Actually, what they found is. Predicting the intensity of a hurricane is it's it, the forecasting is still a mystery. They they'll predict something is going to get really strong and it falls apart. They predict something's not going to get strong and it becomes a category five. They still can't figure this out because there's so many variables. So bring it back to the whole sort of Twitter wisdom thing. Folks think it's that simple that it's just like well the, the warming uh, temperatures mean that hurricanes can get stronger. I, I've seen some scientists theorize the opposite that actually that climate change might actually make hurricanes. Uh, less frequent. Um, that that's, ah. that's impossible because other things are happening. It's not just about the water temperatures. It's about the upper air patterns and other things which might become less favorable to hurricanes as climate changes. Now, that's just one theory I read. And it's, that's not like, I don't even think that's like from a peer reviewed paper. Point is, it's complicated. I certainly resent you thinking that I get my science from Twitter, Josh. <laughs> I find out a lot about hurricanes from uh, Water Park here in Southern California, Hurricane Harbor. That's oh, yeah. usually where I get. Have you been my to Hurricane science. Harbor, Josh? Paula and I went there together once. Remember? We Paula? did. Yeah. yeah. I most certainly haven't been. Oh well, and you wow. say you call you yourself are a hurricane chaser? Honestly, expert on hurricanes, never been to Hurricane Harbor. <laughs> Unbelievable, the gall. Yeah. Wow, this has really been fascinating. All right. Yeah, Josh, that was excellent. And now we're going to run all of this wonderful information you've given us through the old Pounce-donator. Paula? How's Ben Carey Frank on the ukulele? Thank you so much, band. That ukulele sounds like a full orchestra. It's wonderful. And now, if I could ask you for a little more for background, I'll tell you what the old Pounce-donator spit out. Hurricane chaser, Josh Morgerman, thanks for being here and teaching us about hurricanes. I had never realized that hurricane chasing had a bit of gambling in it. So there's the adrenaline part, which I'm sure is addictive, but there's also the element of traveling to experience a hurricane that might not happen. So you could fly to the Bahamas and then it turns out there's no hurricane, but you're in the Bahamas. I'd consider that a write-off. I mean, I'll check with my financial guy, (laughs) Mr. Mooney, but I think for me, I'd claim it. 
I'd fly to Massachusetts and drive to Manchester, Mass, and head right for Captain Dusty's ice cream on a perfectly beautiful night with Annie, Beezy, Susan, and Gail. I'd be licking the drips around my peppermint stick ice cream cone saying, Ah, oh, shit, that's too bad. I could have sworn there was going to be a tremendous hurricane. Oh, well, can I have a receipt, please? I'd fly to Alaska to go dog sledding. What? No hurricane? I'd fly to New York to see Trouble in Mind on Broadway. I'd bring a few gallons of water and a sleeping bag, and during intermission, I'd instruct everyone on hiding under the seats. Then I'd say, I can't believe it. No hurricane. Maybe I miscalculated. Maybe it's over at Hamilton. I'd be at Hamilton. <laughs> Look into your eyes and the sky's the limit. I'm helpless. Not again. This must be the eye of the storm. Coming up, ever get the feeling that you've been here before? Well, some of you have. It's Mailbag Returning Champion Edition coming up next. Fun fact, like fingerprints, everyone's tongue print is different, a fact that was instrumental in the FBI's 1979 capture of the serial killer known as Licky Bob. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we are back, and thank you so much, Carrie Frank, everybody, on the you. Nice. Nice Woo. stuff. Woo-hoo. Well, Paula, you know what it's time for. Oh, oh, oh. What? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's right. It's time for Mailbag Returning Champions Edition. <laughs> Nicely oh, done. Oh, Nicely oh, done. Adam, Adam, answer the phone. After I've announced Mailbag, that's just simply not done, Paula. Uh, uh, the phone's ringing. Well, uh, maybe you could get it? No, it, 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 answer the phone, Adam. Uh, all right, all right, all right. Hello? Hello, is this Adam? <laughs> yes, this is Adam. It's Sheriva. Oh, hi, Sheriva. Nice, nice, nice to hear from you. Adam, I've been getting some vibrations from you. Something, something. Did you, did you eat something yesterday? Well, yeah, of course, of course I did. You ate a meat. Yes, Sheriva, I ate a meat. I knew it. I knew it. You don't have to be psychic to know I ate meat. My son likes to get the burgers from the um from the inn and uh Don't 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 tell me. Don't tell me. I can feel it. The inn and over. Uh no. No. It's the uh, uh Of course. Of course. I I I can tell. Uh uh the inn and near. No, the, it, it's it, the the in and under. Uh, no, it's it's not the in and under. Sheriva, when, when the catcher has the ball and he tags home base before the runner comes in from third, the umpire shouts, "Your the in and umpire." I knew it. I knew what? it. We have a very deep spiritual connection, Adam. I can tell your daughter Vanessa is doing much better than when we last spoke. My daughter's name is not Vanessa. I knew it. I knew it. Veranda. 
It's just like you to choose such a beautiful and unusual name. I don't have a daughter named Veranda. You do, Adam. You do. I can feel it. I, I, I don't. Maybe you don't realize it. Were you ever a sperm donor? There's so much about yourself that I can teach you. That's why it's so important that I share with you these readings. The universe has chosen to connect us in your journey. Oh, sure, Eva. I'm sorry, but I have to go now. Off to the Inn and Empire, are you? I knew it. I knew it. Goodbye, my fellow traveler. <laughs> Goodbye, sure, Eva. Wow, that was... Adam, Adam, answer the phone. What? No. No, I... I uh, it's going to be her again. Hello? Oh, Jesus. Hello? Why are you on a journey with her? Winnie, Winnie, listen. I had not... Did she just hang up on me? I think she did. Oh, my... You know, you can't... Uh, can't double-time Winnie like that. I wasn't double-timing her, and, I, and the last thing I want is another one of her callers having an unhealthy infatuation or obsession with me. That that was just weird. You know what's amazing? I always thought Sherry Eva was kind of a, you know, fraud, but she really nails you. She gets what you, you. What do you mean? She doesn't know my daughter's name? She knows that you have another daughter. <laughs> I don't have another. I've never been a sperm donor. Sherry Eva says different. Jesus All right, Christ. so what are we doing? What? Oh, we're moving on to mailbag. Oh, boy. Returning Champions Edition. You know, we get a lot of mail from a lot of you. What do we, what do we keep it in? We keep it in a satchel. There are several of you that write to us a lot, and we thought it would be nice to honor you by having a mailbag. There's mostly people that we've heard from before. So it's mailbag. Returning Champions Edition. And to make that happen, I'd like to bring up to the plate... Tony Anita Hull with the mailbag. Sorry, I was choking. Welcome, Tony. Thank you. What do you got for us in that mailbag? So Thomas Dean... Oh, okay. Sorry. What? <laughs> Thomas mailbag. Dean wrote in, Congratulations on your 177th episode. Did you know that the TV show House only made it to 176 episodes? I suppose you know that and have been trying to beat that record. Thomas Dean. Thomas oh. Dean, you have really gotten to the essence of what drives this show, my friend. We are all about rubbing Hugh Laurie's face in it. That's what we're about. We almost stopped after 177 because we, we felt like we did a good dance on his show's grave. Yeah, exactly. I'm making a remake of Stuart Little where I play his father. And, and Adam and I are remaking Jeeves and Wooster, and Stephen Fry has agreed to be my partner. I didn't think anyone would notice the rivalry, but boy, Thomas Dean, you uncovered it. You did. Thomas Dean, I just want to say also that I am such an admirer of your dad, John Dean, the conscience <laughs> of the Nixon administration. I only wish the Trump administration had someone with the courage of a John Dean. And I also want to say that I think it's too bad that your Uncle Howard lost the Democratic primary years ago over something as silly as yelling woo. Yeah. <laughs> I'll bet, Thomas Dean, you're a chip off the old Uncle James uh, block. Um, <laughs> and your mother, Paula, 
She was never forthcoming about all the butter she used in her recipes, which is too bad because I love butter. And if she had been, I would have followed her recipes to the letter. Well, we, we've managed to thank the entire extended Dean clan now. And, and with that in mind, let's move on to Mailbag. Returning champion. Thank you, Thomas Dean. Thank you, Thomas Dean. Our next one is from David Weintraub. Explain once more why you couldn't do mailbag, ding clonk, wait, ding dong. <laughs> Thank you. When you did an extra segment with Fiona Hill. Wait, ding dang, god damn it. Dang ding, no, that's not right. David Weintraub. Oh, David Weintraub, that is a good question. Well, I'll tell you, David, some people think our show is too long. And we try not to go too long. But a lot of our listeners haven't figured out that they can simply stop listening and listen to the rest later or just bail whenever they want. A lot of our listeners don't know that. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know what? I would I would encourage our listeners, um, let's take an informal poll. Hit us up on Facebook in our Facebook group or or at nobody listens to Paula Poundstone at gmail.com and let us know whether you think when we're running along whether we should just run extra long or whether you like the compactness of a 60 to 90 minute episode. I, you know, the podcasts that I listen to, and this is certainly not one of them, but the ones that <laughs> I listen to, um, I, I'm always disappointed when they're short. On the other hand, I don't want to waste people's time. So to answer your question, David, the reason we didn't do mailbag. No, uh, mail, mail, mail. Mail. No, wait. Yeah, yeah, no, you got it. Um, the reason we didn't, it might have seemed too indulgent for us to go on for that long. That's why we didn't. And I, I hate wasting people's time. I hate, I hate to waste people's time. Yeah, I know that's, you do. You really do. And you hate to waste Tony's time. Oh my god. I will say this. Um, my experience is if I'm sampling a new podcast. And I look at it, and it's an hour and 45 minutes long, or, or even longer. I, I, I usually don't hit play. So I think for potential new listeners that we're always trying to reach out to, it might be daunting to look at a podcast that's more than, uh, you know, 70 minutes or so. But, Adam, you seem like a smart guy, uh, and I'm only going to say that once. But uh, <laughs> is, it, <laughs> is it possible, yeah. my friend, that you could push the pause or the stop button at the point at which... You would listen for as long as you wanted to. Maybe you could even come back the next day and listen to the rest of it. Or perhaps you could just move along and listen to something else. If you only like to listen to a 30-minute podcast, listen for 30 minutes. You know, you're in control. That's the cool thing about a podcast. You are in control. You listen when you want to. It's not like it's not like our podcast comes on at a particular time in the day and that if you miss it, you don't get to listen to it anymore. You are in control, listeners. And trust wrong. me, we don't want to waste, waste your, time. your time. Yes, yes. All right. In the interest of not wasting time, Tony, what's next in our mailbag? Returning champion edition. This is from Scott Baker. Scott wrote in, In this week's show, Paula said she did not know one could get a UTI by frequently having sex. In view of what she has previously told us, is it a surprise she did not know this? Not to me. Uh, no. Nobody's surprised. 
<laughs> Scott, you're absolutely right. I am not an expert on the side effects of sex. In fact, Scott, I'm going to tell you something. Lean close. Lean close. This is just between you and me. I just recently found out it can make you pregnant. <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Scott Baker, for pointing out that we, none of us are surprised by that. Tony, what else you got there in the mailbag? Returning Champions Edition. This is from Mark Carter. Hey, let's read Adam's book next. Why not? Shameless promotion? Bah. Paula just sold me a nut shaver. Oh. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, Mark Carter, I just want to say that your grandparents, Jimmy and Roslyn, are <laughs> icons. And uh, I'm sure it's been hard being the grandchild of uh, people so famous that it sets the bar kind of high for you. But uh, we here at this podcast love Jimmy and Rosalind Carter. And we all miss your Aunt Dixie as well. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And, well, the whole whole Carter family, you know, June Carter, your sister, to me, (laughs) what's the one where I'm going to Jackson? It turned loose in my coat. Uh, You know, without... Her in that song, it wouldn't have been nearly as good. So, um, thank you for writing. Yeah, and uh, good luck with that uh, nut shaver. <laughs> do, uh, Mark, do me a favor. Don't mention to your grandparents that I sold you the nut shaver. <laughs> Just, I don't like the idea of Jimmy Carter, Rosalind Carter, knowing that I sold their sort of nut shaver. Just right, yeah, doesn't, doesn't feel good. Possibly. Asking to borrow it would be super awkward if they did. Yeah. All right, let's 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 quickly move on. Tony, uh, what's next in the mailbag? Returning champion edition. This is from Ken Morrison. Don't know where to post this, but Paula's Manscaped promo may be the funniest thing I've heard all year. After that, I don't know if there'll be a sponsor next week, but the spot was classic. Wow. Well, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, this goes all the way back to... Um, Mr. Baker's point from a few letters ago that, you know, Paula is not necessarily somebody who's going to be out there having a lot of sex. I'm busy, Adam. I have a lot to do in my life. I, you know, for the rest of you, I'm I'm sorry that life is so unstimulating. I, I'm uh, I've also I haven't mentioned this till now, but I have become a drought chaser. And that takes a lot of time. <laughs> it sure <laughs> does. Time, so yeah. No, no sex for me. Um, yeah, so um, so the fact that, that that particular sponsor spelled out that they wanted Paula to do that ad. Yeah, they did. I, I thought it was perplexed. Yeah, no, they 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 did ask me specifically to do it, um, to to read the ad, not to. Um, and Ken, uh, Ken Morrison, I first of all thank you so much. That's very flattering. Um, but second of all, um, although I think your dad, Van, is kind of adult on the um, vaccines and very sad that he's taken that turn. But there's just no denying that body of work. Man, that guy can make a song. Just, you know. A lot like his brother Jim, your Uncle Jim Morrison, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry about that, by the way. Sorry for the, you know. Your loss. Funeral funeral pyre. Um, Yeah, and uh, your Aunt Pat was on our show. We love her. <laughs> fantastic. Fantastic. So, uh, uh, Ken, uh, if you talk to your Aunt Pat, send her our love. She was really Absolutely. wonderful. We yeah. do love her. All right, Tony, is there anything, uh, anything you got left at the bottom of that mailbag? 
Returning Champion Edition. We have one more. One more from Rachel Butler. I keep thinking about some of the show's criticism I've seen recently. Too long, too rambling, too gross, Adam's too aggressive, Bonnie's too Bonnie. I love listening every week. I love hearing the dead Gouda horse be beaten. Adam's abrupt rages have become like every time I read Dolores Umbridge say, in the fifth Harry Potter. I feel so angry, but I also love it. Bonnie's theme songs are perfect. Paula's hacking and coughing are endearing character quirks. I love when the episode hits my playlist. I feel sad when an episode ends. Thank you for being all the wonderful and awful things friends can be. <laughs> well, I uh, don't need to uh, uh, thank you, Rachel Butler. Uh, uh, don't need a hole. When and where were such comments made as uh, beating the dead Gouda horse or or Adam being a uh, where, who said these things? Uh, this is a damnable calumny. It seems to me that Rachel Butler is aware that your husband, the great Captain Culpepper, passed away of triotoxism, which is a poisoning from cheese or dairy products. But she's got it wrong because it was a bad spoonful of sour cream, if I remember correctly. Well, that's uh, that's incorrect, Adam Filbo. Uh, uh, it was, in fact, uh, the gouda that got him. Uh, I cannot understand <laughs> a listener who would write in uh, to say Vaughn is too uh, body. Yeah. Uh, it's a horrible uh, calumny. It's a damnable calumny. Thank you for defending us, Rachel Butler. Thank you. Thank you. And by the <laughs> yes. way, Rachel, I, I just want to say, your father, Rhett, is uh, <laughs> a fine man. Fine man. Absolutely. And, I, and by the way, I think your cousin Jimmy could totally win the NBA Finals this year. Oh yeah, Jimmy. Jimmy Butler is uh, Rachel's cousin. Uh, a lot of pride in the family, and uh, the the movie about your uncle the was very good. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Uncle the was quite a, quite a quite a. <laughs> well, honestly, that that is that is so sweet to hear, Rachel. We really do appreciate it, and that brings to a close mailbag. Returning Champion Edition. There we go. <laughs> well, that's fun. Hey, nobodies, if you have a question or comment, drop us a line at nobody listens to Paula Poundstone at gmail.com or just hit us up on the Facebook page. Uh, Paula, what's going on with the Poundstone product empire this week? Well, uh, this week, um, uh, uh, we'll be sending uh, uh, many products to Rachel Butler. Um, <laughs> I got to tell you, Adam. In the year 2022, Poundstone Industries, also known as Lipstick Nancy Incorporated, we have already doubled our sales from the last three years put together. If I'm reading this right, it's going to be a boom, boom year. Unprecedented sales. She's a boom, boom. We sold one fucking cat toy. During that one hour a day that you and your cat are awake at the same time, <laughs> they'd love for you to tug a Poundstone pussy pillow around on a string for them to chase. What's a Poundstone pussy pillow, you say? Well, 
It's a four inch by five and a half inch handmade catnip stuffed pillow with a cat joke on one side and autograph to your cat on the other side. It features a grommet so you can attach a string to it and drag it around for your cat to chase. You can find them at the shop at my website, paulapoundstone.com. Does Hugh Laurie sell Poundstone Pussy Pillows? <laughs> he wishes. Perhaps you've got a plant or two you'd like to please with worm castings or worm poop from the funniest farm in the world. Contact me at my email, paula at paulapoundstone.com. And for $4 a pound plus shipping, I'll hook you up with worm waste that'll make your plants talk to you. And for a limited time, I'm offering the How the Heck Does She Do It package, which includes a pound of worm castings and a personalized video about some part of the worm farming process. And, as if that's not enough, no, it's not a Ginsu knife, and I'll name a worm after you, all for wow. $30 plus shipping. Email me your request at paula at paulapoundstone.com. Eat my dust, Hugh Laurie. There's lots more at paulapoundstone.com, and I'd tell you about it, but you know, Heidi. <laughs> Thank you. And let me just piggyback, Paula, and say that if you are one of those listeners who is listening to this on the day that this podcast comes out, you are a mere 48 hours away from the finally the release of my new podcast, Dad Band Land. That's right, Dad Band Land from Starbirds Audio, which is an exploration of all things music through the eyes of a neighborhood dad band. It is now out and up on Starburns or wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow it right now and you can hear a nice uh, six minute preview of what you're going to hear and then on the 20th of january thursday the first episode drops and will drop again every week dad band land dad band land all right now remember to follow this podcast on apple podcasts or on spotify wherever you do if there's a subject or topic that you'd like to know about tell us where at nobody listens to paula poundstone at gmail.com once again that's nobody listens to paula poundstone at gmail.com and that is our show Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone is hosted by Paula Poundstone and yours truly, Adam DeFelber. Special thanks to our guest, Josh Morgerman. And to our house band, Carrie Frank. Yeah. Yeah. This here show is produced by Paula Poundstone, Adam Felber, Bonnie Burns, Ken Lezebnik, and Tony Anita Hall. Starburns production by Land Romo. Poundstone Industries production by Vic Lowry. Thanks also to the voice talent of Paul Matlock. Transcription services for the show provided by Transcribe Me, a premier internationally used transcription service. Use code Paula Poundstone when placing your order at transcribeme.com to receive an expedited service. That's our show for tonight. Won't somebody please listen to me? You know, uh, Hugh Laurie is going to be so pissed when he hears this episode. That guy so wishes he could be on this podcast. He can't. Yeah. You know what? We we did 177 episodes. House was only on for 176. Yeah. Well, you know what? Last week I tweeted him, hey, Hugh, uh, you want to be on our podcast? And before he could even answer, I I replied to my own tweet, well, you can't. Oh, burn. Burn. Oh, yeah. Oh. yeah I could smell burning Lori from across the Atlantic. Yeah. Psych. Yeah. Hugh. Starbands Avenue, a podcast, <clears throat> a podcast network.